One of the things that really sets fair trade businesses apart is how they are often led by the artisans themselves. Fair trade in many ways can really turn a traditional business model on its head and leadership truly comes from within. This time and time again proves to be an incredibly transformative process in the lives of everyone that the business is impacting. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com. And this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, a CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just an incredible person who is trying to make a positive impact, not only through their personal life, but also with their career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact wherever you are. My guests, yes, that's plural. My guests this week are Christy Whitekettle, Tom McGregor, and Janine Umutoniwasi, the founders of Azizi Life, a fair trade organization dedicated to partnering with skilled Rwandan artisans in their vision to lift their families from poverty. Working since 2008, they have now cultivated partnerships with more than 500 artisans. Azizi Life serves as a bridge linking artisans, designers, and global customers to offer high-quality, ethically sourced goods for life and gifting. As a not-for-profit organization, Azizi Life is dedicated to the well-being of their artisan partners and their families. In addition to opening economic opportunity through fair trade, Azizi Life invests in a range of community impact projects. Their Rwandan-led team facilitates adult literacy classes and offers other resources for personal, spiritual, and economic growth. I was so, so, so thankful for the gift of technology to be able to connect halfway across the world with Christy, Tom, and Janine. They are just an incredible team. Uh, Janine, especially as the CEO of Azizi Life, is just such an inspiration. And I really, really loved learning more about their story and just the impact that they are having on communities. But before I get to my conversation with Azizi Life, I have a question. Did you know that I have an ethical brand directory on my blog? That's actually what Chelsea used to start finding products for her boutique almost four years ago. Now, Amma's Umma carries over 50 intentionally sourced brands and is the perfect one-stop shop for all of your gift giving and shopping needs. And as a thank you to the Still Being Molly Business with Purpose podcast community, she is offering 20% off with the code SHOPWITHMOLLY. Head to shopwithmolly.com for all the details. Also, if you are one of my loyal listeners of the show, or even, hey, if you're a new one and you are just loving this show, which I'm so, so, so appreciative, have you ever wanted to sport some Business with Purpose podcast swag? Well, guess what? You can now get my exclusive Do Something Good With Purpose On Purpose tee through GoX. The design is incredible. I love it so much. But here's the thing. GoX believes in the power of a purchase. They use something like a simple t-shirt to connect their customers with their apparel makers. GoX customers sustain fair wage jobs that liberate workers from poverty and empower them in their families and communities. They are proud to be a verified member of the Fair Trade Federation. So you can shop your exclusive Business with Purpose podcast, sustainable, eco-friendly t-shirt, and so much more with purpose today at goxapparel.com 
forward slash Molly Stillman. That's goex, G-O-E-X apparel.com forward slash Molly Stillman. All right, without further ado, on to my conversation with Christy, Tom, and Janine of Azizi Life. I am so excited to welcome Christy, Tom, and Janine all the way from Rwanda, uh, the founders, the brains behind uh, Azizi Life. uh, And I'm just so excited to welcome you to the podcast. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having us, Molly. We're excited to be here. So Obviously, um, I have actually been a big, big fan of Azizi Life for years. I, I don't remember specifically when I was first introduced to Azizi Life, um, but I, I came across you guys probably five or six years ago, something like that. Um, I do some work in Kenya and I was doing some research on other um, kind of brands, you know, especially Christian owned, Christian run brands in the ethical fair trade space that do work in Eastern Africa. And I came across your work and was just blown away by it. So I just, I'm a really, really big fan. So I'm really looking forward to kind of hearing a little bit more of the story and, and kind of getting to know you. So um, I would love if one of you, uh, Janine, Christy, Tom, whoever wants to take this to kind of give us the Azizi 101. So tell us who you are, what you do and how it got started. Azizi Life was started actually under the auspices of a different nonprofit called Food for the Hungry. And uh, Food for the Hungry had programs that supported education and health, as well as some small business stuff. Through those relationships, we developed connections with artisan cooperatives. And we saw that although artisans' neighbors were buying products, what they were ready to pay was just a fraction of what the product might be worth in other markets and often not enough to even cover the raw materials that the artisans used to make the products. And that meant that there were all these people in the rural areas who were eking out a living with, with farming, but really not getting enough for their family's livelihoods. So not able to take their kids to the doctor every time they were sick and not, you know, for sure getting shoes for everyone, really concerned about paying national health insurance or paying school fees, which is at the top of every artisan's mind, their kids. And so we saw that there are all these cooperatives that were organized with a leadership structure, had skills to make beautiful things. They had a vision for the future, but there was this gap. And we realized that if we could be a bridge across that gap, that um, the artisans could get paid a fair wage and connected to people who would love their products, beautify their homes and their families with those things, that the artisans could work towards their own vision for a better future for their families and yeah, use their craft for that to those ends. When did you guys kind of transition? Cause you said that, you know, it, it kind of transitioned from being a part of food for the hungry. When did it become as easy life? From the beginning, we were advised that it would be wise if Azizi Life was started as an independent enterprise separate from the nonprofit. So actually, even from those very first days, we were aiming to register as an independent business and uh, just continued from there, growing in, in independence from our 
foundation at Food for the Hungry and uh, developing as our own entity. Uh, just to just wanted to add to that, yeah, ahead, the, at the very beginning of um, starting Azizi Live, the work in Rwanda, we wanted it to be able to be handed over to the local population. So it was our vision and our belief that we should start something, but we shouldn't try and hold on to it. But we should look to hand it over to the local mm -hmm. population so we could move on and, and start something else. So as in development, you kind of want to put yourself out of work. And so we came from a development background, looking to put ourselves out of work so that the, the enterprise could continue on its own, uh, irrelevant of our, our, of our involvement. So right from the start, we needed a, a, a structure that we could hand over easily. And uh, uh, handing over an international NGO is much trickier than handing over a social enterprise or a business. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I should, I guess I should formally uh, introduce each of you. I realized I didn't do that. I was getting ahead of myself. I was too excited. Uh, so we have uh, Christy Whitekettle here, Tom McGregor, and Janine Umutoniwasi. And uh, I would love for you each, um, and I'm going to start with Janine, actually. Janine, I would love for you to introduce yourself and what is your role with uh, Azizi Life and how did you get connected to Tom and Christy? I would love to hear all of it. Yeah, um, thank you so much for giving us this opportunity so that we can share about our work in Rwanda and the overseas. So my name is Janine Mutoni Wase, 33 years old. I'm a mother of two um, girls and I live uh, in Rwanda. I joined Azizi Life since the beginning um, in 2008. And I have been enjoying so much working together with Christy and Tom to create this uh, like empire that will enable rural artisans to make life out of their hands. So by creating beautiful handmade craft, they are able to support their families, communities, and demand as a whole. So it's a privilege for me to be able being a part of this great job. Yeah, you guys really do have an incredible partnership there. How did you first get connected with Christy and Tom? Uh, back in 2007, I was working as a housekeeper at Food for the Hungry Guest House. I was in charge of um, like making sure that every guest who is staying there have food, that um, like all their stuff are cleaned and in like position where they're able to live in Rwanda. So I think so Christy came first in Rwanda and I was in charge of making sure that she has food, that all her clothes are clean. And if she needs to go to the market, I can go with her, translate for her if she needs to communicate with people out there. And yeah, we start building relationship together. And then later on, Tom came in Rwanda also, and he stayed in the same guest house here in Mohanga. So that's how really I get to know both of them. And I kept working there until they closed the guest house, I think in the beginning of 2008. And then um, as at the same time, I was also teaching Tom Kinyarwanda. <laughs> <laughs> and then, <laughs> Yeah, I remember those days. <laughs> so, yeah, I was teaching Tom Kinyarwanda, but he was not a good student. 
<laughs> yeah, content <laughs> we found that with other things. He's the best at everything, but not good at Kenya Rwanda. <laughs> yeah, so um, when they closed the guest house, I continued with a teaching from Kenya Rwanda and also getting under temporary jobs with him and other of his friends, especially in cleaning their homes and so on. So when they started um, this social enterprise, I think based on the relationship we built up in the past, they thought about me of how I can come and help them, especially in communicating with the first artisans that they were building relationship. So that's how I really connected with Tom and Christine. That's fantastic. Um, Janine, I, I also would love for you to kind of speak uh, just from your experience and how being involved with this and obviously like what Tom was saying earlier, where one of the big goals is, you know, Christy and Tom in a lot of ways, like they're trying to work themselves out of a job and how this is really a program, a social enterprise that is you know, obviously like there's support from um, Christy and Tom, there's this bridge between kind of the quote unquote Western market with the artisans there in Rwanda, but it's really a program that is run by the local community. You guys are really, um, you know, empowered and, and charged with, uh, with being leaders in this. And so I would love for you to just kind of share what that has been like and, and what that means for not only you, but also the artisans and, and how important that piece of this is. Yeah, it is, it is really a, a great experience to come from a lower position and give an opportunity to grow and become a leader. And as a person who worked with like the company since it started, I was privileged to see the importance of what it really means for Rwandans and everyone who get benefit from it. So I will say that this is a great job to be able to serve along with people who think about others, who do everything they can to support people. And the artisans really value this work. Every moment when they are creating a product, they think about where, all the way we came from, what we are aiming, and they make sure that whoever we buy this product will be really happy about it. And also they think about how it can impact their families. That's beautiful. And that's such an important piece that I, I love that Azizi really focuses on that. And that's something that I also am really passionate about and then love to support companies in particular that, that have a big focus on being run because you know there's i mean there's a lot of talk in in sort of the fair trade and ethical space you know and um and sort of this idea of sometimes you know you'll have somebody from uh you know america or the western world kind of come in and then they just like tell people what to do and how that can be really harmful and so you know this is really truly a partnership and something that that's changing lives and i think that that's a really important conversation to have now Christy and Tom, I would love for you to kind of just share your, um, I don't know who wants to go first, if Christy or Tom wants to go first, but to kind of share, you know, your involvement and how you specifically got connected to this and what has, you know, how has your role maybe changed over the last, gosh, I'm terrible at math, 12 years, something like that. (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm, I'll happily cover that. Uh, first of all, uh, Janine's being modest um, because she's <laughs> she's now the CEO of the company. So she's the boss. Yeah, she is. She is a boss. <laughs> and, um, she's a boss. <laughs> and um, we, we, uh, when I started, I, when we started, I had never met anyone who learns as fast as Janine or picks up mm-hmm. anything as fast as Janine. And right from the very start, we had identified Janine as the, as the lady that was going to drive this forward. So it was very early on that we, we got to that position. And so, yeah, I just wanted to clarify that before we move on. It wasn't just she happened to be there. She had the skills and the ability, and she is the perfect person for the job. In fact, um, although I'm the only one that uses the title of co-founder, the truth is that the Janine is the other co-founder and so is Christy, but they yeah. don't actually use the titles. Um, <laughs> no, um, so, yeah, I, I, I get emotional when I talk about uh, ZZ Life because it's a bit of my baby, really, since I started Aww. it years ago. I so, love that you um, clarified that about Janine, by the way, because I could tell she was being modest. I was like, I know that you are the brains, that there's so much brain and brawn behind it. So, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. She's brilliant. The first jobs we worked on when it was me and Janine going around to artisan groups was on handbags and um, uh, uh, sandals. And my background is uh, commercial insurance. So uh, it gives you an idea of who was doing most of the work uh, in those days. Uh, it definitely was not me. Uh, Janine was pretty much running the show from the start, but she just didn't know it. She just needed encouragement and time to, to get the confidence to take over. So, yeah, so my background is that I came in, in my life prior to coming to Rwanda. I was a commercial insurance broker. Uh, I worked uh, myself up in my career. I became a successful account handler, relatively successful account, uh, account executive, doing commercial insurance for medium to large businesses. Uh, and I was uh, turning 30. I'd got my professional qualifications. I was earning good money. And then I had that kind of like, there has to be more to life than this moment. Uh, that it can't, I can't be just doing, this can't be my purpose to just, uh, to just be in insurance. So um, I went in and told my boss that I didn't think that I, I would be, I, I said, basically, give me six months and I'll either go all out and we'll, we'll earn lots of money together or I'm going to go away and I'm going to do something completely different with my life. Um, and they were kind enough to, to kind of give me that space and to let me do that. And so I started researching and, and talking with my local church back in the UK and looking for different opportunities. My background has always been business and kind of insurance and finance and those kind of things. Um, and I studied that at university. Um, but all the jobs and things overseas, and I knew I wanted to go overseas because, oh, a bit I missed, sorry. The bit I missed was when I was 18. I did a Youth with a Mission, the Mercy Ships. I, oh, yeah. um, I was on board the Anastasis. Yeah, so I did a discipleship training school when I was about 18 years old, 19 years old. Um, and I was in Togo, West Africa, and then we sailed down to South Africa, and we spent a number of months in South Africa as well. And I fell in love with Africa. So when I had this crisis at age 30 and didn't know what to do with my life, I knew two things. I knew I understood business and making money. And I knew I loved Africa. And they, they were basically the two things that I knew. 
Um, and so I started researching, praying with uh, the, the local church and meeting with friends and discussing it. And uh, every job that came up or every opportunity that came up overseas was really high powered. It was unconnected to the community. It required a PhD or a master's <laughs> in something or other. And I had no idea about development and or anything. And it just didn't sound like very interesting at all. But then there was a position with Food for Hungry Rwanda, working with a team of Rwandans doing small business training in the rural communities. So it was non-agricultural. We would be going into villages and uh, talking with uh, groups and individuals on how to do basic accounting and those kind of things and basic market community. It was working with the Rwandan people. It um, required a business background and not a development background, which was much preferable for me. And uh, it was a, an unpaid position, so it was really easy to get the job. <laughs> that was the only, only one who applied for it. And so uh, I, I did some fundraising. And um, so that was, in, I, I think I'd made the decision in the January, did some fundraising, and I was on a plane in August out to Rwanda and uh, landed in Rwanda. And my boss pretty much told me, yeah, that position you're coming for, it doesn't really exist or we're not sure it's really going to work and you can't really do what we had said you were going to do. Um, and so then I had like, oh, okay, okay. So what should I do now? Um, and so my boss's I, thoughts were, the reason he didn't want me to do what I'd come to do was he didn't think there was enough disposable income in the rural community to be able to um, support any non-agricultural business. He thought we were training people to do business. The businesses were coming for the training, eating the lunches, getting the transport money, <laughs> and then going bust. He didn't think any of them were surviving. So what he said instead was to go around and to meet with all the people that had tried to start a business and to see how they were going. So some were doing okay. Um, I think by that point, we had done over a thousand, more than a thousand people have been trained in some small business activity. And so I, I went around to the different groups in the different communities. And a few were doing okay, like if they were a tailor and they had a contract with a school to make the uniforms, they were doing okay. But they had trained a lot of people to do um, arts and crafts, so uh, baskets and those kind of things, because the belief was that people could do subsistence farming in the morning, make baskets in the afternoon, ship the baskets uh, out of the country, everyone get paid loads of money, and then uh, it helps with all of the export and those kind of things. But it, they had done a training for the basket weavers and the artisans, but there was still not enough kind of interest coming from the West. So, so there were some companies that had bought the year before, but they, they, they basically the market wasn't strong enough or big enough yet. So all of the people that had started craft businesses particularly were barely being able to cover the cost it was a hobby yeah. there were benefits for the women to meet together to talk about issues and to to discuss like raising a family uh, marital issues those kind of things so they were all seeing loads of benefit but their husbands and there's they saw no benefit because there was no cash coming in um yeah. and so we did we came up with the idea that if every uh, artisan stays working in their village and we buy their crafts and then we sell those crafts somewhere else, then the, those artisans can spend money on the other businesses in the village. And so out of that kind of idea and belief was that's how we, as Easy Life was kind of born and that's how I kind of got into it. Yeah, yeah, right, that was that's a bit right. No, no, I think that's great. And, um, and you kind of briefly touched on another just really important point too, that there's, there has to be this balance. Cause like, there's the importance obviously of, um, you know, at the end of the day, like these artisans need to be making money. Like this is, this, 
this is their livelihood. Um, but there's an important piece too about the community aspect and being able to connect with others, to be able to just to to live in community and to and to encourage each other and challenge each other. And when someone's maybe going through a hard time or struggling, I mean, that's a universal need. Doesn't matter you whether you live in Rwanda or the UK or China or Australia or North Carolina, like you we're built for community. We're made for community and we need each other. And I mean, that has been amplified so much during COVID-19 is this quote unquote social distancing and the, you know, and the being um, isolated and quarantined and all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's really amplified the need for community because when people, when we're in isolation, like we weren't, I mean, God didn't create us to live alone. God did not create us to live alone. And so we are, we are made for each other. So that's also an important, important piece. Okay, I'm going to take a quick break from my conversation with Christy, Tom, and Janine to thank the partners of this show who are able to help make it possible. Now, when it comes to gift giving, I am not perfect, but I do try to do my best to give gifts to my friends and family that things that they love, as well as items that empower the person who made them. Now, today's sponsor makes it so easy. The Lemonade Boutique stocks fun and meaningful gifts that also give back. Every purchase empowers the artisan who made it to take life's lemons and make lemonade. You can shop at thelemonadeboutique.com to see all the beautiful products that she has. And listeners of the Business with Purpose podcast can save 15% by using the code PURPOSE15 at checkout. I want to thank another one of our sponsors of the show, and that is Simple Switch. Actually, Rachel Coyce, the founder of Simple Switch, was on the show back in the spring, so you may remember her. And I wanted her to actually tell you a little bit about what makes Simple Switch so incredibly awesome. Thanks, Molly. Thanks for letting me hop in on this episode really quick. We're an online marketplace for positive impact purchasing. So kind of a similar model to Amazon where you can shop online for things that you actually need. So like toilet paper, all the way up to nice gifts like jewelry or electronics. But every single product has some sort of environmental or social impact. So I'm really passionate about the the change that we can make just with our everyday shopping, as I know you are from all your amazing episodes on this show. And we'd love to offer a discount to your listeners because I know you guys are the exact right people for our marketplace. So if you go on simpleswitch.org and use the coupon code purchase with purpose, you'll get 20% off your first order. And that can be a cart that includes all your day-to-day needs, gifts, things you need for next year. We can't wait to see you there. Thank you so much, Rachel. All right, now back to my conversation with Christy, Tom, and Janine. Christy, can you kind of just share with us, like kind of how you got connected and how you got involved? What, how has your role changed? Yes, I am originally from Pennsylvania outside of Philadelphia and had been working in recreation in a nursing home, loving the people, loving the creativity and I came to this crossroads where I realized anew the need and pain in the world through a Bible study that my friend was leading. And I knew that God cared about the poor and the oppressed and the fatherless and the widow. And I felt moved to really examine myself and think about what is a faithful response in light of these realities. I went through a lot of inner turmoil, a lot of searching within, a lot of checking in with my community of people on this subject, and a lot of searching about what in the world I could do that would be useful 
to God mm -hmm. and to other people with my sociology degree and my skills in leading sing-alongs and crafts <laughs> and hair <laughs> um, exercises. That long search led me to the work of holistic development, not only focusing on people's spiritual well-being, not only focusing on people's physical well-being, but really serving people and understanding people in an integrated way. And that, in turn, led me to Food for the Hungry. So I came out on the same kind of volunteer program that Tom did. and. I did not know what I was going to do. I spent a long time just in cultural adaptation. And if I say language learning, will that um, <laughs> come out as a dig for Tom? <laughs> um, but I, he, while well, he jumped straight into action, I just was exploring and just trying to figure it out. And I finally went for something at Tom's prompting, and then it all fell through. And I really found myself in this slump, maybe about nine months in, where I did not have a practical way to really be engaged in serving people <laughs> with our team or with, with anybody. And so I remember a moment when I was at church. I was uncomfortable socially and culturally and physically, because I was in the middle of this hot building squeezed between these ladies and their beautiful fabric head wraps. And the, the pastor pointed to me and said something that I didn't understand, which was so kind and gracious of him, but I just reached a point of cultural stress. And I found myself thinking in that, on that bench in the church, you know, I don't have anything practical to do. I, I don't know what I should be doing. I might as well just help Tom with his easy life. Because Tom and I had been sitting across the table from each other at the Food for the Hungry office. And we had realized that we were very different in many ways, but we shared love for God and love for people and those common values. And so... The next morning, I trudged into the office, and Tom, knowing that I was in a slump, said, how you doing? And I kind of mumbled something, and he said something that he had never mentioned ever before in these nine months we've been working together. Well, you could always help me with this easy life. And it was just one of those like light bulb moments that really felt like a God thing. And although when I was signing up to come to Rwanda, you could not have paid me to take a business position, <laughs> it turned out that it, that was exactly what God had in mind. And that the, the things that I loved in recreation that had been seemingly unrelated, um, but the, the people and the creativity, that I could engage those things in the work that had just been started um, through Tom with his easy life. I love that you're like, I really hope that I'm not involved in the business in any way, shape, or form. And then God's like, that is cute. That's so cute when you think that you have all the plans and the ideas. So obviously you guys have been, uh, you know, doing this now for quite some time. 
And it's just been amazing to see how it's grown. You know, what does Azizi Life look like today? You know, uh, you know, how many artisans are you working with? You know, what's the current status of Azizi Life? As we have all explained, we started with uh, just three of us here. And now we have a team of 23 permanent staff. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I remember when we started, we were only sharing one table, like mm -hmm. a dining table and the cupboard. And mm -hmm. the, now we have a big office three but, and three locations. So three locations in Rwanda with all 22 permanent staff. We have some temporary staff, uh, about 12 people in total. And we are working with over 500 artisans uh, located in, in Rwanda. Wow. So it's really good. We can see that we are growing <laughs> every day. Wow. If that is not... That's one of those things when you hear stuff like that and you see how, you know, you, you started small and you had the faith, the size of a mustard seed. And now look at the, the way that God has grown it and um, the impact that you've had. I mean, 500 artisans around Rwanda is amazing. And then you have all this staff and that's just, those are lives. Those are people with families and those are families that are being impacted. Those are communities that are being impacted. And the ripple effects of that are just, we can't even really even begin to quantify it. And it's something that I feel like I, sometimes I feel like I am uh, just constantly repeating myself here on the show, but I, I think it's a, it's a point that cannot be emphasized enough is that truly there's so many things, but one of the, the, the root issues of, of global poverty is lack of access to a job. And when somebody has a job and they have a dignified job, a fair wage, a living wage job, they have community and support. That's a person that then goes back and that impacts their family. And then that family influences a, a, a neighborhood or a community. And then that community influences a region. And I mean, it is just, it is a drop in the ocean that just begins to, to spread. And so to hear that and to see that, um, I just want to encourage you that you guys are just doing in incredible work. Janine, you're an incredible leader um, and uh, just a powerhouse. I can just tell, like I said, you're, you are being modest, but I know that, um, that together you guys have just really done such incredible work. And the products also just speak for itself. So not only do you have all this amazing stuff that you have on the, on, you know, going behind the scenes, but the products, the products that you're putting out are beautiful and they are things that any, anyone would want in their home. And, uh, and that's an important piece as well is, is so often there's sort of this, like, uh, this, what's the word, this kind of stereotype or like myth in the fair trade ethical world where like products that are made, you know, overseas are like kitschy or they're just kind of like, oh, that looks nice, but it's not like something like beautiful that you want to display in your home. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, and, uh, but no, like, I mean, the baskets, the wall hangings, the, um, the home decor, the beautiful, I mean, the hand carved, uh, nativity sets. I mean, all these different things, like they're just, they're stunning and they're things that just look really high end. Um, they're beautifully made. You can tell the craftsmanship and the skill that goes into each piece. So anyway, I just wanted to highlight that because I think that that's also another kind of important piece to this larger puzzle. So last question here before we go to our get to know you round is I'd love for one of you to just kind of share 
what is sort of the, the vision? I mean, again, Tom said at the beginning that you guys are trying to work yourselves out of a job. Um, but what, what is sort of the long-term vision for uh, Azizi Life kind of here in the immediate future, next couple of years? Again, I just want to correct something Janine said or improve on it. Uh, we've doubled in size since she Amazing. became CEO. Amazing. Uh, we weren't that big. Uh, when, when, when I was CEO, we were, we were at half as big, roughly. Um, so yeah, our vision, uh, we've, we've got different parts of Azizi Life. So there's um, Azizi Life Rwanda, there's Azizi Life US, and there's also our non-profit and impact work in Rwanda. So each of them have got kind of slightly different visions yeah. for the future. Uh, in the U.S., uh, with the non-profit there, so we have a non 501c3 in the U.S. that uh, hands all the, handles all the distribution and uh, does fundraising within the U.S. We've got this big push for um, increasing our, our sales to a point where we're buying uh, at least 10 times what we were buying two years ago. So two years ago, we set ourselves a target to increase what we're selling by 10 times. So we, we're really pushing the marketing and, and the selling side of things. We're really keen that people buy the products because they're beautiful with the added bonus that they make an impact as opposed to a pity buy. Or something like that. So we really we're working on the product development. We're trying to work with designers in the U.S. Um, to really get great products onto the shelves around North America. Uh, in Rwanda, we have uh, two main, oh no, three main projects now. We work with the crafts um, side of things. We also do educational tours where people that visit Rwanda um, can get the opportunity to learn from learn from the artisans and the communities uh, where the artisans live. So we, we, love, we run different experiences there. So I think we started with about, I think it was about 10 different households, and now we're up to about 50 different households where people can book a day to spend and learn about construction, uh, or they can learn about basket weaving, or they can learn about cooking, or they can um, do drumming and dancing, or they can learn about traditional uh, Imigongo art. And um, so that's all run by the, the artisans and their communities. They're the instructors, and we send along a translator. And so we're looking to increase that. Uh, we've uh, recently started working with universities um, for research purposes and those kind of things, um, just getting access into the communities and working alongside the communities to see um, how things can be improved. So we're looking to grow that uh, beyond where it is at the moment. Um, I'm not entirely sure uh, how far we want to grow, but maybe double in size. Uh, double in size, Janine says. We want to at least double in size. <laughs> Janine says what we're doing. Um, and then we also started working with beekeepers in Rwanda uh, in through a sister organization, uh, or uh, which is part of Azizi Life now. It's called uh, Beautiful Creations. And they work with beekeepers to make candles, beeswax, wraps. Um, they do lip balms, soaps, and polishes. Basically, all, all items for sale within Rwanda at the moment. So we haven't started exporting. But we hope to grow that to a point where we can export items. And then that can go off and stand on its own as its own separate business. So Azizi Life Crafts can stand on its own. Experiences maybe one day will go off and be in its own business as well. But what we're looking to do is to, to kind of keep adding on new social enterprises, new business ideas within Rwanda to kind of just get employment into the rural communities. So every business we look to start, we look at whether it's going to be beneficial to the community and to the, the rural community, and that will bring uh, something of God's kingdom there. Uh, and so if it's going to do that, and if it's fair trade, and it's going to provide employment 
um, then that's something that we'll go after. So, so far we've done the tourism side, we've got the beekeeping side, we have the craft side, and then alongside all of these things, we set up a Rwandan non-profit. And so any um, money that is made by uh, these different social enterprises, that gets funneled into a non-profit that runs impact projects that will benefit the communities or basically help communities overcome barriers so that they can thrive. Um, so we're running um, adult literacy programs where people can learn to read and write. Uh, we have a program where people can get access to uh, fuel efficient stoves and water filters um, on a kind of a loan system. So they still pay for them. But the problem is that although these devices will save them money in the long run, they can't afford the upfront costs. So we pay the upfront costs and then they pay a little bit back each month. And but they get access to that money-saving device, such as the cooker, the stove, or, or solar lamps. Um, we also do Bible distribution and Bible study as a Christian organization that we believe that um, you really need wholeness as an individual. And the way we break that down is um, you know, physical uh, wholeness, so being able to afford what you need, social wholeness, so interacting with your communities in a positive way, and then also spiritual wholeness, so your relationship with God and Jesus Christ. And so um, I guess all of these things is we're just going to keep on looking to grow and to hand over. That's, my, that's what I like doing. I like starting things. I'm awful, awful at running things. I'm not somebody who wants to run anything. So um, I, I just look for new things that we can start. And I think as a team, we look to grow each one so it can just impact more and more lives and we could just see more and more communities changed over the time. Mm, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. Okay, so now is the point of the show where I just ask each one of you kind of a fun get to know you question. And uh, all right, so actually, um, Christy, I'm going to start with you. So Christy, do you have any guilty pleasures? Hmm, guilty pleasures. You know, I, I tend to be a pretty measured person, but there's something that I do that I haven't told everyone about, but every day when I come home, <laughs> I, instead of going straight inside, I go up into our garden and I press my nose into the freshest rose in the garden. Aww. And I just spend a few moments just inhaling the beauty of that flower and feeling its softness and just taking in all the sensations of the garden before I go inside. So, so passersby probably think I am a crazy person, but um, I just really love reveling in the small, beautiful things around me. I love that. That's like the most beautiful, peaceful answer. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, okay, Janine. You are a hardworking CEO. You just work all the time, I know. Uh, what is something you like to do just for you? Something you like to do for fun? Yeah, I like to spend time with my daughters, just listen to them, hearing about how their day <laughs> went and knowing what they, they are predicting for their future. And yeah, get to spend enough time with them. So that's what I really love to do when I'm off to work. I love that. I love that. Okay, Tom, if you had to eat the same meal for dinner every night for the rest of your life, what would it be? Ooh, there's so many, <laughs> so many dinners I would like it to be. Um, I think it's got to be the, the full uh, English breakfast, uh, which is mm. sausage, bacon, eggs, beans, fried potatoes, uh, and toast with coffee. I like it. 
Mm, I love breakfast for dinner, so I'm all about that. (laughs) Okay. And then my last question, and I'm actually going to ask this question of Janine. And uh, Janine, what does it mean to you to run a business with purpose? It means a lot to me, uh, especially when you are talking about helping someone to get from all level to a level that she can support herself, her family, and her community. So whenever I wake up uh, and I think about the next stage or next thing I have to do, I always think about all those people we work with, uh, all their projects um, for the future, and make sure that I hit the target so that I can enable them to achieve all their goals and make sure that their dreams come true. So I really love to be involved and put all my energy, all my um, skills and knowledge in something that I know and I'm sure that it will bear fruit, Uh, not only for me, but for a number of people. I really love it. I love that answer, Janine. And uh, I just want to thank all three of you, Janine, Christy, Tom. Thank you for being with me. Thank you for um, connecting and sharing the story of uh, Azizi Life. And I know, I know, no, 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 that you guys are going to continue to see the growth um, that you're praying for and working towards. And uh, I just see God's hand all over this organization and and your businesses. And uh, just thank you today for for connecting with me and sharing your story. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, friend, I would love to know what you loved about this episode or something that you learned. If you do, let me know on social media. You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Business with Purpose Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. And don't forget to use that hashtag Business with Purpose Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're a first time listener, welcome new friend. Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring so many incredible entrepreneurs who are literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you're a regular listener of the show, thank you for tuning in week in and week out. And thank you for your support. Be sure to head on over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Radio Public, Amazon Podcasts, basically wherever you can listen to a podcast and click that subscribe or follow button. Clicking that button helps to make sure that you never miss a new episode of the show. And while you're there, would you take a moment to leave a review? Leaving a review actually helps me to know what you're liking and how this show is personally impacting you. This show is produced by the incredible team at Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening. Now go do something good with purpose on purpose.